The scripture reading this morning is taken from Psalm 19. And instead of reading the first part, I want you to watch it on the screen. Kate, we're going to cue up that video. sky watchers here today. Anybody have a chance to do some stargazing over the summer? It's usually a little easier to go outside in the summer than the winter, although the sky is clear. Anybody do any camping, any outdoor stuff? Work with me, guys. Okay. Did anyone happen to see the meteor shower 
around August 12, 13, the Perseids, anybody see that? It's a dramatic display. It, now it's really, it's sort of between midnight and 4 a.m., so it's not for most of us. But it's just this dramatic night sky. Okay, I want to ask this for anybody under the age of 12. Now think about this. If you're under the age of 12, I want you to try to answer this question for me, okay? When you go outside at night and your eyes get used to the light of being in the dark, how many stars can you see? Think about it. How many stars can you see? Can you count them? Have you ever tried that, Anna? Have you ever tried to count the stars? You should try that sometime. It's a pretty amazing thing. The problem is, once, the more you count them, the more you tend to see. As your eyes get used to the light, and there's more and more and more, it's just an impossible task to count all the stars in the sky. It's not an infinite number, but it seems infinite. The man who wrote these words, Psalm 19, was an accomplished stargazer and sky watcher. Before he was a king and a warrior poet, King David was a shepherd looking after his dad's sheep in the back country of Palestine. And I think as he worked the graveyard shift, he had a lot of opportunity to contemplate the night sky especially in that clear, dry climate when electricity hadn't been invited, invented yet and there was no light pollution like we experience today. That's all you could see were stars. Anybody see the northern lights this summer? That's quite a display. It's amazing. One night, Luann and I were walking through Assiniboine Park. It was fairly late. And because there's a patch of darkness there in the park. It was easy to see. and The lights were on display and we just lay down in the grass and watched for a while. It was an amazing light show. The God of outer space is the God we read about in these first few verses of Psalm 19. You know, it's interesting to note that the Bible doesn't try to prove God's existence. It doesn't try to give you reasons for, you know, there are logical reasons for us to believe that God exists. In fact, in a couple of weeks, um, September 7, I'm going to be speaking on God, is he there? And talk about reasons, why it's reasonable and rational to believe in the existence of God. But the Bible doesn't try to explain God's existence. It just, he just is. And this is his word. It just assumes it. And in fact, it's interesting to see that Romans chapter 1 gives us this warning about people who doubt the existence of God. God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. How? For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Every time 
I get pulled over by the police for doing something that I shouldn't be doing. They basically explained to me that ignorance is no excuse. Um, so you try that with an officer the next time, say, oh, I didn't see the sign, or I didn't know this or that. They'll say, ignorance is no excuse. Likewise, in these verses, the Bible is saying there's no excuse for not at least realizing or having the opportunity to respond to a creator who is an intelligent being, someone who has designed the universe with such beauty and such order. It just, uh, honestly, I think sometimes atheism is more a matter of the human will than human intellect. Why? Because we only see what we want to see. And if there's someone out there bigger than me, first of all, that's an affront to my pride. That someone out there might want to start messing with my life and telling me, what's right and what's wrong. And I don't like that because I like to call my own shots. So I understand why often, I wouldn't say always, but often atheism is more a matter of the will than of the intellect. We only choose to see what we want to see. And I challenge you to think about it. In the deepest part of our being, if we're honest, there's got to be something more, something out there. It's not just us happened by chance, randomly. It just doesn't make sense. And again, I'll be talking about it a couple of weeks, about just the statistical odds of this current universe existing by blind chance. It's astronomical. I believe the cosmos is communicating to us without using words. These verses said that the truth about God is transferable in any language. There's no translation necessary. You don't need Siri on your iPhone to explain this reality to you. Day after day, the heavens are pouring out speech about the reality of God. But we need to be clear about a couple of things. There is a creator and a creation. Let's not get them mixed up. We worship the creator. We admire his craftsmanship, but we don't worship his craftsmanship. We don't find God in a tree or in the mountains or in the lake. There are things that he has created, but that is not God. We've been appointed as stewards, caretakers, managers of our part of creation. And to a large part, we haven't done a very good job of that. But that's our assignment as part of God's creation. But we don't worship the creation. We admire it and allow it to point us back to the creator. We need to be very clear about that because there's a lot of fuzzy thinking about the difference between the creator and the creation. The author, David, is very clear on this. Even in the fact he talks about the sun, describing the sun as something that God has made. Many cultures back then worshipped the sun, and David makes it very clear that the sun is part of God's created order. By the way, just talking about the sun, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but we are the, the planet Earth is placed approximately 93 million miles from the sun. Just right. A few percentage points closer to the sun, and we would fry like eggs in a hot pan. But a few percentage points further away from the sun, we would be in a permanent deep freeze. 
and you think January in Manitoba is bad, you have no idea what life would be like then. But this is no accident. There's an intelligent creator out there who deeply cares about his creation and has so ordered our planet, even as it spins on its axis. And some months we lean closer to the sun, some months we lean further away from the sun, and that gives us seasons and all these things we just take for granted and the world keeps spinning and revolving and turning and God orders and sustains the whole universe. That's what David starts saying, is explaining in the first half of this psalm. God, he is describing the God of outer space, a God who is transcendent, who is over everything. He has his creation, but he is over all that. He is so utterly the other and unknowable in so many respects. And our response to that should just be, wow. Wow. But how can we know this unknowable God if he's so transcendent? I suggest to you this morning that the God of outer space is also the God of inner space. And this speaks of another aspect of his existence. God is transcendent. He's over everything. God is also imminent. He's also very close to us. Just sitting right next to you in the pew, basically. If you can think of it in a figurative sense. He's right here with us. I'd like us to read the rest of this psalm together because David the sky watcher has been speaking about God's, what we call God's general revelation. His, his awesomeness, his creativity, his beauty, his order. Um, and from looking at the cosmos, perhaps we could deduce that there is a, a, an order and a sense and some intelligent personality behind it. A lot of the early scientists, because they had a Christian background, were influenced by this. The Greeks believed in a pantheon of gods, and creation was just kind of chaotic, and could the, the created world couldn't really be understood. Along comes come the, the Hebrews and the Christians with their monotheistic view of a god of order and purpose, and that influenced a lot of our Western science. In fact, the, the astronomer Johannes Kepler, I love this quote, he says, when I'm studying the stars, and if you know anything about astronomy, he came up with Kepler's law of planetary motion and all kinds of things. I can't reproduce it for you because it's got too many letters in it right now, but it's pretty impressive what he, what he developed just in his time with the equipment that he had. But Kepler said, when I contemplate the creation. I feel like I am thinking God's thoughts after God. So the beauty and the order of the universe tell us amazing things about God's character. But not everything we need to know. That's God's general revelation. So how do we know this powerful, mysterious creator? What is he like? What are his values, his passions? What is he like? The Bible says that God revealed himself to Moses out in the desert in the form of a burning bush, and he self-identified as I am, or I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. That's pretty mysterious. 
What does that mean? In other words, I define myself. No human being can tell me who I am. I am the creator and sustainer of life on planet Earth as well as the entire cosmos. I am. Wow. How do you draw close to a being like that without being immediately turned into a pile of ashes? That's problematic for most of us. And somehow Moses survived several almost face-to-face encounters with the living God and lived to tell about it. But here's why God wanted to reveal himself specifically to Moses. He was trying to take this group, this mob of motley human beings, former slaves, delivered out of Egypt. He took them into the wilderness so he could develop them into a people he could call his own and have a special relationship with. A nation, he was trying to build a nation through whom the whole world would be blessed. The problem was, these people did not know how to live the free life. They didn't know how to live life freely in God's presence. They were petty, short-sighted, ungrateful, rebellious, slanderous, selfish. It's a pretty ugly crew. In fact, they were depressingly like almost all the 21st century Canadians I know. Let me repeat that. Petty, short-sighted, ungrateful, rebellious, slanderous, and selfish. So God reveals himself to his people through his law. Not to ruin our fun, but his loving commandments and guidelines for his people, his boundaries for life. Boundaries for life-giving relationships with himself and other human beings. And here's what David said about God's law. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They're more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They're sweeter than honey even honey dripping from the comb. They're a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey him. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. Wow. So God has revealed himself to his people through his law. In God's law, David says, brings us wisdom, joy, insight, and understanding. It's life-giving and delightful. Just compare it to the alternatives, individual and societal chaos. I was talking about Tina Fontaine earlier in our prayer. What happened to Tina was a result of some monster or a group of monsters, human monsters, breaking several of God's laws. And they find this little girl's body floating in the Red River. What a travesty. What a tragedy. This is what happens when people break God's laws. Can you understand why David said these things are so good to protect us and to provide life 
not to ruin our fun. God is not a cosmic killjoy, but he gives us good boundaries to live life by. And we are so foolish and self-destructive when we ignore these things. When we ignore God's laws, it is at our own peril. God's love warns and protects us from our own foolishness. And following them, David says, and I hardly concur, provides its own reward. But how do we know if we're on track with God's law? David says a couple of interesting things about sin. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. It seems to describe a couple of different categories of sins. Not that one is worse than the other, but many of us lack the necessary self-awareness to even know if we're off track. We react to things. We do things instinctively. I've been reading a lot about brain science this summer, and it's fascinating. There's a part of your brain called the amygdala which controls all the, the fight and flight response. It's designed really to protect us. So, for example, if you're in traffic and someone suddenly cuts you off, you get this message from your amygdala going, watch out! And your adrenaline ramps up and you, you get more alert and you're ready to step in the brake or signal or change to react to that danger, Okay. The problem with that, if that's a good God-given response to danger, but the problem is the amygdala reacts in the same way when we feel threatened in our personhood or threatened in a relationship. Someone makes a cutting comment. Someone gives us what I call the hairy eyeball or looks at us askance. Or we, we, we're tempted to react in some way. And our amygdala says, fight or flight, fight or flight, and we just react, we go off without realizing what we're doing. And we find ourselves repeating these broken patterns and unhealthy patterns and reacting to things. And it's, it's sin. It's sin. We can explain it. We could try to real, rationalize it away. But it's sin. It's a bad choice that breaks God's law, God's law. And it has destructive results on ourselves and on our relationships, the people that we're trying to love and unfortunately repelling away when we react like that. I think that's one of the things that David is talking about when he says, Lord, how can I even be aware of my hidden sin? Cleanse me of my hidden faults. They may be hidden from others. They might even be hidden from me through my self-denial, but they're not hidden from God. Lord, forgive me when I just react to situations instead of responding to them. Do you understand the difference between reacting and responding? someone makes a cutting remark to you, do you just lash back? Or do you just take a breath? Or do you have just that millisecond saying, Lord, what do I do? And then you choose to respond instead. That's how God helps us to rewire our, th our thinking. But we need to be aware of, our, of these hidden faults, of our hidden sins. David goes on, to say, I, I can't know everything that's lurking in my heart unless God points it out. But he also says there are deliberate sins. There are things I do that are wrong, and I know they're wrong, and I do them anyway. 
Why? Because I just feel like it. And I self-justify. And I can come up with a couple of rational reasons why I sin. I just do it because it feels good. Unfortunately, sin leads to death. There's a proverb that says, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end it leads to death. A long time ago, when my daughter was quite small, we were in a car accident, and it was my fault because there was new construction ahead of me, and uh, previously there was no traffic oncoming in that, in that intersection. But they had changed it, and I wasn't paying attention to the lights, so I'm making a left-hand turn, following the indicator arrows, and I think I'm perfectly in my right to turn left, and all of a sudden, there's a truck right on my bumper. And I have like one second to think about this and go, oh my. And then, boom, before I know it, we're, we're upside down. Fortunately, both wearing seatbelts. But I thought I had the right of way. It's the first thing I got when I stumbled out of the car. I thought I had the right of way. Well, it's not going to do you much good when you're upside down hanging from your seatbelt, is it? There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Fortunately, God saved us from a worse catastrophe in that situation. But because of my foolishness and my stubbornness, I thought I was right. Now, you can try to live life your own way. What can I say to that? Bon chance. I don't really believe in luck, but I say, well, good luck with that. You can try to live life your own way. You can try to run your own, live your own rules. But in the end, it ends in disaster. Because the God of outer space is also the God of inner space. And the intelligent, loving being who put the planets in place and sustains the universe loves you so much he wants to have a relationship with you. So why do we keep wandering away? Why do we keep wandering away from him? Lord, cleanse me of my hidden faults and keep me from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Again, if we're honest, there are things that we intentionally choose to do that break God's commands. Different ways of lying, different ways of stealing, different ways of lusting, different ways of coveting. The list can get pretty ugly. And we can rationalize and say, well, I'm not as bad as those people. Yeah, well, we're all in deep trouble. So there's no point in, you know, pushing it off on someone else. That's, that's not going to work. We all think that God grades in the bell curve. doesn't work. It's kind of a pass-fail with him. So we can rationalize our way our sin and say, well, you know, it was my childhood. Or they, it's their fault. They set me off. It's those people's fault. It's someone else. I just had a bad day. I didn't have coffee. I didn't have enough coffee. We can rationalize all these things. But in the end... We either have these hidden sins that we're not aware of, we not have enough self-awareness to know what's going on, or we have deliberate sins that we choose. And what does, it's interesting, what does David say next? Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Don't let them control me. Jesus died so that we could live a free life. The slaves I was talking to about the, the escaped slaves from Egypt had to learn how to live a free life. If we're following Jesus today, we need to learn how to live a free life. Now, Jesus has legally set us free. We're out of prison, so to speak. 
But many people who have been incarcerated long term need to transition into living the free life. They don't know how to live the free life. In the same way, many Christians are the same way. We don't know how to live the free life. We keep getting trapped in these old patterns of sin and depressingly repeating them over and over again. But Jesus has come to set us free. And he can teach us and lead us how to do that. So David throws himself in the mercy of the court and asks for God's protection. As followers of Jesus now, we're guaranteed the presence and power of the Holy Spirit if we but ask. What's David's conclusion? O God of outer space and inner space, may every word that comes out of my mouth and every thought that goes on in my brain be pleasing to you. You are in charge of the universe and you are in charge of me as well. I trust you with everything I've got. I challenge you to think about that the next time you go stargazing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for putting the planets and galaxies in place. They're just too numerous for us to count. We are amazed by that. Thank you for the order and beauty of your creation. Thank you for the order and beauty of your law, your word to us. Thank you that you care enough about us and this measly planet out of all the galaxies in the universe, we can't even begin to count. You care about us. You chose to reveal yourself to us. Now, Father, there are things in our life that are hidden and there are sins that we do that are deliberate and intentional. I pray that you would deliver us from both of those categories of sin. Help us to live with an awareness of you today. Help us to pay attention to what you're saying to us. And help us to learn how to walk in freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.